0: Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Assel with Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What is up, Todd? Hey, Corey. Hey, and we're also very pleased to welcome our special guest this week, Rusty Cannon, president of the Utah Taxpayers Association. Welcome, Rusty. Thank you for letting let, let me crash the party tonight and, and uh, happy to be here. Absolutely. We are delighted to have this conversation with you. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot right away. Can you tell us a little about yourself and, uh, and about the organization? What's the purpose yeah, of
1: the Utah Taxpayers Association? Good question. We get asked that a lot uh, when we explain. So uh, we're actually celebrating a 100-year anniversary this year in 2022. Uh, the association wow. was formed in 1922. Um, uh, believe it or not, sent out our first newsletter in January of 1923. So the January wow. issue of our newsletter in a month or two will be 100 years later. We're going to make it pretty cool. But yeah, so essentially since then, the state tax watchdog uh, weigh in on tax policy on the state level with the legislature, uh, school district, county and city level on the various taxes in Utah, property tax, sales tax and income tax. Um, And that's what we've been doing, uh, making 50% of the people unhappy uh, essentially ever since 1923. So uh, so it's great.
0: Good stuff. All right, well, we wanted you to join us for uh, at least one special reason and that is we want to discuss the the budget surplus. So, Utah will have nearly 1.4 billion dollars in extra revenue heading into the 2023 legislative session. Most of that surplus, about uh, 1.2 billion of it comes from income taxes which the Utah Constitution specifies can only fund public and higher education and some social services. So the rest of the money, $130 million, that's in the Utah Utah's general fund, so that can pay for other things. There will be no shortage of opinions about what legislators should do with that money. And obviously, you know, there's been some talk of raising teacher salaries. I'm sure several Democratic members will want to address the uh, sales tax on food. But Rusty Cannon, Utah taxpayers, they might have a different idea. So we wanted to ask you, first, can you explain the budget situation for us? And, uh, and then give us the perspective of the Utah Taxpayers Association. How do you think that money should be
1: spent? Yeah, well, we, most people will guess where we think that money should go. And that's back to taxpayers' pockets. The main thing we want, we've been trying to get across to people, we've been talking about this basically since the spring. Um, so the, the Utah's fiscal year, and Senator Weiler, Weiler knows this, ends on a, uh, it's about six months ahead. So in June of this year, June 30th, we finished fiscal year 22, and on July first, started fiscal year twenty three. The one point three billion and change was a surplus left up left um, after we ended the fiscal year twenty two. They thought revenues would come in at about ten point one billion. Came in at about eleven point five, eleven point four. So it's that one point three and change billion dollar surplus. But that's only where it starts. Then, in addition to that, there was unappropriated balances, meaning money that the legislature didn't appropriate or spend to the tune of about another almost 2 billion. So the the actual surplus that they'll be dealing with coming into this session is going to be 3.3 billion, somewhere in that that range. But it gets even better than that because when they set the forecast for fiscal year 23, which started on July 1st, they forecasted that it would finish the year at about 9.7 billion. They were forecasting a big drop. Everybody thinking that it was going to be Uh, that recession coming and that kind of thing. Well, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, Who knows if or when that's going to happen or if it might be a small recession or a large one, who knows, or if one at all uh, at this point. But every day that goes by, and we're now, what, July, August, September, October, November, almost five months into the new fiscal year, and revenues have continued to be strong. Mm. So every day that goes by that we're not falling off the cliff, so to speak, economically, that 3.3 billion is gonna grow because we just start essentially banking that money. So we think the issue is going to be, once you get into legislative session, you have a February time set, time date, uh, Senator Weiler knows about it, where February revenue estimates come out. And and at that point, they'll kind of re-forecast or kind of see where where the live game is at, so to speak. And they'll say, okay, this is what we think the 2024 (laughs) numbers are gonna be. Because what the legislature spending or planning to spend this next session is 2024 money. So you have all this money that's piled up. Um, There's a, there's an issue or a conversation that they have essentially behind closed doors where they decide how much of that is one-time money and how much is ongoing. Mm -hmm. You only want to make a tax cut, a permanent tax cut with ongoing money. Right. That makes sense. Um, And so that's a big decision is Okay. If it's three or four billion dollars, how much is one time? How much is ongoing? And there's there's you know, two sides of that coin as to how much you do on each each of those buckets. But we feel like most of that money should be called ongoing, and less of it one time, um, uh, for various reasons. Um, hey, but Rusty, real-, real
0: quick. So is that yeah.
1: an argument? If 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 you want to argue
0: that it's it's mostly ongoing money, is that an argument for for the folks who want to put it into services or you know? You know what I mean? Because if it's ongoing money, then you can count on it next year well, type of thing. versus a one So time. If,
2: if it's ongoing, then you could cut taxes with it. If it's one time, then you can only then we only do one time expenditures with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to use one time money for a tax cut. there's talk of a rebate. Um, and, but I mean, we're never going to argue with giving money back to taxpayers. But a rebate does nothing for the long term viability of the state. And second of all, we're all sort of criticizing Washington, D.C. for for doing that exact thing. They sent us all a bunch of money um, and drove up inflation. The state would be doing the same thing. You know, whatever that Mm -hmm. amount of money is, we're we're not solving any problem other than releasing the pressure valve, essentially, and taking it out of the government's pockets and giving it back to people, which, of course, is, is, you know, we're never going to argue with that. But what the better policy is, is to do a good ongoing tax cut. Um, the other thing, we're not aware of any other big projects left to spend money on. I mean, the legislature spent $1.8 billion in one-time money the last two sessions on transportation, on roads. Um, they've done a bunch on other things. And then Senator Weiler and the legislature never get any credit for all of the money that they've thrown into education in the last few years. We have all of that documented. It's, over the last five years, it's almost a billion dollars of increase. To education spending. Wow. In addition, because of the bill they passed a couple of years ago, HB 357, there's an automatic inflationary adjustment, an enrollment adjustment given to education, they're first in line on this money. And they're going to have a massive increase without the legislature even really having a lot to do with it, because it's automatic. They'll get no credit for that, as, as Todd knows, but that all that's going to happen, and you're still going to have a bunch of money left to cut taxes, in our opinion. And so We've been calling for a cut to four and a half percent um since the spring. That's about a five hundred and twenty million dollar cut that's we think easily done with the surplus that you have and it's you know a reasonable amount of the budget about five percent of the budget or so um so that's what we've been calling for and we don't see any reason why they couldn't go that big and How does that break
0: down in terms of per taxpayer
1: um the actually l f a did a good analysis at, at a recent rev tax interim meeting. It would be about, that could be about $350 to the typical Utah family.
0: Yeah, that's not nothing. Yeah, Yeah, it's not nothing. All right, Todd, what do you think?
1: Yeah, so it's
2: actually our uh, PhD type analysts who kind of tell us we think this is one-time money uh, versus ongoing. So, you know, to your budget, Corey, if you got a Christmas bonus at work, that's one-time money. If you got uh, a raise, you know, in your salary, that's ongoing. And so, if you get a Christmas bonus, you don't um, you don't buy a Jaguar unless you get a really big. <laughs> but you don't buy something with monthly payments, right? Um, if you get a Christmas bonus, you you would you do a one time purchase or maybe pay off debt or something like that. Um, and so, you know, um, <clears throat> a lot of our surplus, I, I think, will be deemed one time money. And so, I'm already seeing messages on social media saying, "Oh, now is the time to cut sales tax on food." Well, sales tax on food is an ongoing revenue source. So if we have money for one year and then we, and we cut we cut off a revenue source for the next 50 years, that's not really good fiscal policy. Um, We're going to have to probably give our state employees um, uh, an increase because of inflation. Um, We've got fire suppression needs. We've got jail contracting. We, we, we reimburse the counties. There's 24 County jails that house state. Well, some of them, about 20 of them house state prisons, and so we're constantly adjusting the the per diem rate on that. Um, and we've got other capital improvements and um, stabilization funds. Medicaid, um, the inflation affects Medicaid growth and uh, reimbursements. And so, I'm not saying there won't be a tax cut. I think there will be a, an income tax cut, like uh, similar to what we've seen over the past two or three years. But there are a lot of there's a lot of things that we could do with one-time money to pay down debt, you know, in the future.
1: Yeah. The the issue that we have is this is the same story that we have heard the last couple of years. Like what, what the last couple of sessions, it seems like the story we hear, this is federal stimulus. This stuff isn't going to stick, but then our revenue has stayed strong. Uh, Recession's coming. Oh, but revenue stays strong. And all these other reasons to make it one-time money and then one-time spending happens on a pretty significant basis. So what the issue you have now is your ongoing budget is about $9.2 billion right now, if you guys just did a, essentially continue that base budget. Revenues are coming in at about $12 billion. And so if, if, if our trend line now is up in that $12 billion range, you have a $3 billion difference. So either you guys are going to have to ramp up ongoing spending by $3 billion or give back to taxpayers or call a bunch of it one time and spend it. And so our point is that, okay, it's time for, I mean, if you add up all the spending over the last four or five years and how much in tax cuts, they've been good tax cuts. But if you, if you put them side by side, the spending dwarfs what has been given back to taxpayers. And so that's the case that we're trying to make is other states have made big moves. Um, Arizona, they cut theirs 1.9 billion in income tax. <laughs> then they follow that up with a $300 million property tax cut. Um, you know, there's other states doing things that are significant parts of their budget um, in a prudent way. Um, it's not, you know, uh, you know, outlandish or risky. But that's just our point: is that okay? It's the taxpayers' turn for a general rate cut. You know, that benefits all those that pay the tax.
2: And, and then, obviously, if we, if if it is an ongoing increase, and we make the error of calling it one-time money, then that money's back the next year and the next year and the next year. And so we do try to err on the side of caution, which I think we've been pretty good at.
1: Of course, we're going to bat for the taxpayers and we'll yeah. always advocate to, you know, to hand that back with lower rates because we know that history shows those lower rates will drive growth and continue to you know, help the economy.
0: So the Utah legislature's legislative management committee voted Tuesday to submit an amicus brief opposing the injunction on the state's abortion trigger law. Just to remind folks, so Utah has a trigger law in place that would ban most abortions with uh, some limited exceptions that we've talked about many times on the podcast. Um, And that is if the the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, which of course it did over the summer. So we've discussed this a, a couple of times, but remember... The abortion ban was blocked by District Court Judge Andrew Stone, first with a temporary restraining order and then by preliminary injunction. So while the trigger law stays blocked, abortions are currently legal in, until 18 weeks in Utah. So the Legislative Management Committee will submit an amicus brief. And amicus, what that, what that means is it's friend of the court brief. So since the legislature is not a party of the litigation, this is a method for, for the legislature to weigh in, share its views with the court. And just to reiterate, so regardless of what you think about abortion and abortion access, I mean, this lawsuit, we talked about it on a previous podcast, so we won't belabor it, but the Planned Parenthood arguments are just entirely devoid of, of any actual legal arguments. It's, it's, it's just kind of a hope springs eternal gobbledygook, but they, they found the judge to uh, to agree with them. And so, so he's imposed a preliminary injunction. So we don't have the text of the amicus brief. Uh, I think we can expect it'll probably rebut some of these some of these weaker arguments that uh, that the plaintiffs have put forward. But Todd, let's start with you. What's uh, what are your insights on this?
2: Well, I think that the legislature absolutely should weigh in on this. Um, And we did change the law a couple in the last four or five years to allow us, um, you know, so there's one state of Utah. Right. But the executive branch may see. Some arguments slightly different than the legislative branch. So the attorney general represents uh, the state, but they really represent the executive branch. And so we'll have our own attorneys weigh in on, on some front of the court. So um, on the trigger law, we, we um, the, the, the KSL and some other out media outlets last month, they really erroneously reported that the Supreme Court, uh, the Utah Supreme Court had voted to keep the injunction in place. And while that's technically true, what they did was they voted to to not lift the injunction. They, they voted to not prejudge the issue. They're gonna take you know take all the arguments and then they'll decide what to do. So it would have been great, in my opinion, if they would have lifted it. But it, it would have also kind of been putting the cart before the horse there um, because those arguments haven't even been made yet. So I think this was the right choice, and I know the media didn't like it. Uh, doesn't like it. And uh, it's so interesting to me, and I'm just going to wax political here for a second. Um, Liberals hate the death penalty and they love abortion. And I just I can't reconcile the two.
1: (laughs) Rusty, what do you think? You know, I this is an issue where I just not have a legal mind. It's one of the times when I wished I would have went to law school. I I defer to to Senator (laughs) Weiler there, but just as an average citizen, it it is a little bit irritating when you're on the one side of the issue and one person is holding up what you think has been decided by you know the legislative body or or what have you, and so it's it's frustrating. But uh, I guess we got to wait.
0: So I did go to law school, and I have you know all the legal background, and I came to the same
1: conclusion as you did,
0: which is <laughs> it's it's really irritating that uh, you know, like I think we can debate and maybe even disagree to some extent, and and across the state, I'm sure to a large extent about what our abortion laws should be in the state, but it should not be held up based on purely uh, policy related arguments, not legal arguments. And so, you know, I hope, I hope the Supreme Court, the Utah Supreme Court acts swiftly on this. And, and I'm glad the legislature's weighing in because it's important, it's an important issue. And, and it shouldn't be, the reason the Supreme Court made the decision it did is because this is, this should not be a, a decision of the court. It should be a decision of the people to vote on. And so the sooner we can get back to that, I think the better. The Senate this past Wednesday, the U.S. Senate advanced legislation to protect same-sex marriage, sending it on to uh, near certain passage, probably next week. In a 62 to 37 vote with 12 Republicans voting with all the Democrats, they moved the bill forward. Uh, it 's after a negotiated um, bipartisan deal to include protections for religious liberty. The bill, just so everyone knows it would ensure that the federal government can re- recognize the same sex marriage if it was valid in a state uh, it took place and, and a couple moved to another state that does not recognize it so for example, uh, my wife and I were married in in Utah and then we lived in in d c and Northern Virginia for a while, and our marriage was rec- recognized in those states. Basically, what this is saying is that the uh, marriage between same sex couple would, uh, would also be recognized as kind of the full faith and credit clause from, uh, from the Constitution. So and it would also repeal the Defense of Marriage Act from 1996. But there was, there was a bipartisan amendment that clarified that the bill would, would prevent um, any substantial burden being placed upon people's ability to exercise their religion. It states that religious groups would not have to perform marriage services and that the bill doesn't impact a church's tax treatment. So, in a, I, think, I think it's fair to say a surprising move, particularly, you know, of where the church has been in, in, in the past. The, the LDS church came out in support of the bill. The church released a statement saying, The doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints related to marriage between a man and a woman is well known and will remain unchanged. We are grateful for the continuing efforts of those who work to ensure the Respect for Marriage Act includes appropriate religious freedom protections while respecting the law and preserving the rights of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. And they went on to say that they support the bill. So after the church released uh, this statement, Senator Mitt Romney announced that he would support the bill and voted yes to advance it. Senator Mike Lee opposed the bill on grounds that uh, he didn't think it goes far enough to protect religious liberty. So he introduced his own amendment that would that would further ensure um, and prevent uh, discrimination against religious institutions. So recall, we talked about this before, that all four members of Utah's congressional delegation, the House delegation, voted in favor of the bill when it came up in the House several months ago. So Lee will be the only member of the state delegation to oppose it. So, Todd, I think this is a good thing. The church feels comfortable with religious liberty protections. I feel comfortable with them, too. I personally am I'm glad to see Senator Romney and our House delegation vote in favor. I think uh, we, I said so, and, and I think you said so, too, months ago that this is a tough vote, but I think it's a good one. I think it's the right one. And I think actually it's, it's pretty cool that the church is where it is, and it makes a lot of sense. We do need to protect religious freedom. Obviously, none of us want to think that it would be right to force the church, for example, to officiate uh, gay marriages if, if it doesn't want to, but at the same time recognizing that uh, other people should have that right outside of the church. So what do you think?
2: Yeah, I agree with you 100% uh, on this one, um, Corey. And, you know, um, Mike Lee, who I have a lot of respect for, th- this is why uh, his critics, um, you know, criticize him, and he's kind of giving them some fodder here, because, you know, the church, the LDS church, of which I am a member, and Mike Lee is a member, said, this is okay, thumbs up, all of the other Congress people from Utah, I think all of whom are LDS, say, okay, we're good with this. And Mike Lee's like, nope, if you don't take my amendment, I'm voting no. And so it, it, it is, you know, Mike Lee does look for ways to vote no. And and I, I'll i defend him on those when it's extra federal spending, but this, I don't think this is going to cost anymore. And so it, it's just, you know, and we have people in the Utah legislature, they just want to vote no on everything. And I understand that. But when, if you do that too much, you kind of just take yourself out of the, um, out of the conversation.
0: Rusty, any, any thoughts on, uh, on this bill and the church's, I think, I think it's
1: fair to say church's evolution on
0: this from, uh, from, you know, the California prop eight, for example.
1: Yeah, it's a huge shift from years ago. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the LDS church as well. And I, this one actually, it took me by surprise. I, I didn't think they would make that statement. I, I did read one article that I thought was really good. I can't remember who wrote it. I think it was Roger Severino, the Heritage, it was definitely, it was from the Heritage Foundation, mm. where they were quite surprised that the LDS Church did what they did. Um, and he made some pretty persuasive arguments to where he thinks this will be harmful to religious freedom in the future. Um, I don't know. Legally, it's it gets quite complicated, but it'll be really fascinating to see five or 10 years from now, who's right. You know, like, it, will there be a tax on tax exempt status? Will there be, you know, other ways that that do cause problems for religious freedom? Um, I I just, I simply don't have the expertise to know. And I'm really curious to find out, but um, you know, I will, time will tell. I mean, I think you're right that it's tough to tell like what, what does the future hold? But, but to be honest,
0: like, can we really foresee that even 20 years from now that, I mean, we do have a first amendment. So could, could government more or less force a religious institution to, to officiate uh, gay weddings like I just don't think that that's a risk the tax exempt status that very well could be a risk but I don't think this legislation makes it more or less likely honestly I really don't it really depends yeah. on if you have a, a democrat majority 20 years from now that's that's just really going to go after churches
2: so, let, let me pipe in on the church's re- uh, evolution on this um remember prop eight I mean when the church was opposing prop eight um uh, Obama, I mean, was in the was in the same camp as a as the church. So the the world has changed a lot in the last fifteen years. Yeah, but, but this was before Obergefell, and so the church was saying this is a states' rights issue, and I think the church was right about that. But we've had a U.S. Supreme Court decision on point. This issue has been decided for the country, and at some point, you got to put down your knives and 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 play nice again. And so I think we're in a different point in the world. Um, uh, And and by the way, a lot of a lot of naysayers said if we allowed same sex marriage, that all of these terrible things were going to happen. And quite honestly, none of those have really come to fruition. And so I do think this is the church making a mature, evolved decision saying, okay, the Supreme Court's ruled, you know, we're going to move on to the next issue now.
0: In an absolutely shocking move, former President Trump announced he will be a candidate for president in 2024. What? I didn't hear about it. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> this. This will be his third attempt uh, at the White House, as we all know. Uh, but, Todd, the day before President Trump made his announcement speech, you, Senator Wyler, organized a letter signed by over 80 Utah elected officials. Let me read it here. You said, our nation stands at a crossroads. We recognize the need for a strong leader to guide and direct our nation, someone with a proven track record, strong conservative foundation, and who understands the operations of state government. We need a leader who will strengthen and unify the nation. Governor Ron DeSantis serves his country and state well and skillfully navigated the many challenges Florida faced during his first term. As elected officials in Utah, we call upon Governor DeSantis to form an exploratory committee for president of the United States in 2024. So, Todd, can you tell us... uh, what were you trying to achieve there, and how did it all come together?
2: Well, um, yeah. So Dan McKay and I were talking, um, uh, kind of commiserating the results nationally. And I, I think we all know now that Trump's, you know, selected candidates underperformed, and that's one of the reasons why the red wave didn't really. I mean, we we took the House, you know, congratulations to us. Um, um, I thought, you know, and, and you thought, Corey, we would take the Senate, and and Trump's a big reason why that didn't happen. He's not the only reason. I think the Republicans failed on some of their messaging. I think the uh I think the independent voters responded to the Dobbs decision and, and 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 there's, you know, I I went through those five reasons last week, but but Trump was one of those five reasons and I think he was probably one of the biggest ones and I I firmly believe and I'm very grateful that Trump was elected in 2016. I'm grateful for his achievements as president. I think um, he advanced a lot of Republican causes. He did a good job, not only with the Supreme Court justices, but with hundreds of federal court appointments. But I think it's time for our party to close that chapter and to move on. And if for no other reason, if both Trump and DeSantis were elected president, if either if it was an either or binary choice, DeSantis could serve for eight years and Trump, it, we would be electing the lame duck president, someone that couldn't run for reelection, election um, but I don't tr- I don't believe Trump will be elected in 2024. I think um, I think just like what happened in 2020, um, I think that uh, people will come out of the woodwork to vote against Donald Trump. And I think he'll lose. And And I think he could cost us uh, winning the Senate in 2024, which is a lot more Republican friendly uh, uh, advantage of taking the Senate back in 2024 than it was in 2022.
1: Rusty, you have any reflections on uh, President Trump <laughs> jumping in? I think we all have an opinion on President Trump. Uh, I yeah, I appreciate you letting me comment on it. I I totally agree with Todd. I I voted for him twice. I loved what he did as president. Phenomenal ish things that got done. Uh, all that. However, I, he lost me completely after the 2020. Like the, the really the the time that I really just decided I was done. I learned to the I listened to the recording of him calling the Georgia Secretary of State, and that I could not believe what I was hearing. I, I just thought, you have to be kidding me. I mean, it, anyway, I suggest if you haven't heard it, that you listen to it. And then the things that followed, I just, he, he lost me. I think the sign of a good leader is those that know when it's time to leave and when it's time to, sh- to, to hand off. What he's done, and even in the last few days, shows that it's not about the party or the country, it's about him. I mean, when, when you come out and start hammering DeSantis and calling him names, all that stuff and then that 90 apparently that 90% 10% fundraising thing with in the senate in Georgia I mean come on really this is about you it is not about the party or or the country in my, in my mind and and I know I'll probably offend a lot of people saying this but I just he needs to go he will we will not win with him I I don't think he can even win the primary at this point uh just the people that I know that we, we pretty much everybody's done and and we need to move on and look to the future and not relive the past. And those are my two cents. <laughs> yeah,
0: I share a lot of those concerns and I and I agree with the with the thrust of this letter, Todd. I think I think we have I think we have talented Republican leaders in this country. And I I think we need to be looking to the future, just like you said, Rusty. I think look to the future, not the past. And any listener to this podcast would know that I'm a big fan of Governor DeSantis and I think he could be a tremendous president and I share both of you, I mean, both of your concerns that President Trump would lose to Joe Biden again. And I just fear what this country would look like after eight years of of destructive policies uh, that we've already seen from President Biden. And I just don't think we can risk it. So I'd like and, to see other talented leaders step up. And and I think Governor DeSantis certainly tops that list.
2: And, Corey, since long. we're recording this on Sunday, we, we need to all wish uh, President Biden a very happy 80th birthday. And if we might... Remind our listeners that if he was reelected, he would still be president six years from today at the ripe old age of 86. Let's make sure that doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, let's don't say we did. All right, that's all the time we have. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Rusty, so much for joining us. We'll have to have you do it again. And, Thank you. Uh, catch you all next week. Thank After you. Thanksgiving.
2: Well, Thank Take care. Bye-bye.